Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Far Beyond Metal Podcast, Episode 2. I'm Daniel Cordova, your host and metal guide on the spirit journey. In this episode, Liam from the Dillinger Escape Plan discusses his first band, and I recommend a sample of the new name record. First, I chat with Diego Tejeda, the keyboard player of the British-based progressive metal collective Haken. We discuss the band's new album, Affinity, his metal origins in Mexico, and much more. First, let's hear a sample of the lead single from Affinity, Initiate. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing very well. Where are you from, by the way? Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't help noticing you have a Hispanic uh, name. <laughs> I am kind of from all over, but I live in California now. Oh, you do? Okay. My dad, awesome. Okay, cool. My dad is of Spanish descent. Oh, I see. All right. That makes perfect sense now. You would not lo- know looking at me, though. <laughs> all right. Okay, fair enough. No, I just... Um... When uh, Roy, you send me the schedule for the interviews, I'm like, oh, wow, is that interview in Spanish or is it going to be in English? But anyway, I, I, I wasn't sure. I only know enough Spanish to get beat up, honestly. Really? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's funny, though, because living in California, most people kind of speak Spanish, don't they? I mean, uh, a lot of people speak Spanish in California, don't they? It's true, yes. I have tried my, my damn just to learn it, and it's it doesn't go well. Fair enough. Oh, well. Okay. Diego, thank you for joining me here on uh, Far Beyond Metal. Diego is the uh, keyboard player for Haken. Uh, they have an album coming out. Is it... Damn, I really should have wrote this part down. When does the new record drop? Sorry. Uh, 29th of April. Oh, very good, very good. So pretty soon. How are you feeling about the new record? Oh, I'm very, very excited. You know, um, we finished the record. I mean, I finished recording in, uh, I think, December or early January. Oh, no, actually, in December. And for us, it's been, you know, a long time now. But we want, we're very excited to hear what people say about it. We want people to listen to it. And, uh, yeah, no, absolutely excited. We're very, very happy how it turned up. Uh, just, just, I'm very happy how it, how, how it went, actually. Uh, there's nothing I can say about it. But, you know, it's very rare that you could say something about work when you finish it and you look back and say, oh, man, I'm very happy. I couldn't have done anything differently. And that's how I feel about it. So that's why I'm very excited about it. Uh, as of our recording today on the 18th of March, Initiate went live, uh, which is the first taste of the new album. How's the response been so far? Are you keeping away from any of that? Uh, it's been pretty good. I mean, uh, we posted this, uh, I don't know, a few hours ago, and we have, you know, a lot of a lot of shares and people just talking about it and, you know, different opinions and that stuff. Uh, you know, it's all been good, I think, generally speaking. Yeah, I think the song's great, and the record is really cool. I got a promo copy, so if you're listening to this, you should buy it legally. I got it legally, and I will also purchase it. It's a fantastic record. Good man. Um, <laughs> it, it clearly showcases a love for the 1980s sort of synthy prog scene. Um, what inspired you guys to dabble in a direction that most progressive bands don't? Well, I've got to say, though, from a personal perspective, uh, I didn't really like the 80s back, you know, before I joined the band. 
And I kind of got brainwashed because I remember the first time we do a tour in the tour band, the guys were playing, uh, you know, Vince Cola and the Rocky soundtrack and, you know, uh, Van Halen and Hart and, you know, the Yes stuff. So I kind of got converted and now I love it. Um, and I think it's one of the things we were, we talked about in the past, said like, oh man, people are not really doing this, you know, people are not really uh, having that sound anymore. And it was a really cool sound. Um, and one of the tunes, uh, 1985, uh, uh, we were working on that tune. We spent ages on that one. And immediately we thought about that sound. I mean, when I when I listened to the first sketch, I think Charlie sent it around. Uh, I thought like, man, this is going to be it. I mean, this is going to have a Vince Cola section. This is going to have uh, a, a classic uh, 80s synth uh, sound going on. So it, it just developed uh, organically, I think. And um, we were in the position from all the older guys in the band were into that kind of stuff. So we, we just went for it. That song in particular, and I mean this as a compliment, sounds like the progressive equivalent to like an 80s ski movie. And I, I think the song's fantastic. Thank you. Um, Ross, uh, the vocalist in the band, said this is the band's most collaborative effort. Uh, how did songwriting change for you personally this time around? Well, it just, uh, it was not like an abrupt change. I think it just developed naturally as well. Uh, back in the day when we started uh, with Aquarius and Visions, I mean, I, I joined the band before Aquarius, but there was a demo before that. Um, so back in the day, uh, Richard or Hen was the one in charge of the main idea. So he was sending kind of the main sketches and we would just work on our parts or maybe change the arrangements. Uh, the first album, Ross was doing most of the lyrics, or actually old lyrics. Um, and same with Visions. But, you know, from Visions song, we start all getting more involved. Uh, in Aquarius, I didn't try to get too much involved in the creative process because I was a new guy. So I was just trying to kind of, you know, step back and see how the things were working in the band and what the dynamic were. And, you know, eventually for Visions, we got more involved. Like uh, I got involved, for instance, with the um, string quartet arrangements. Ray got involved as well with the string quartet arrangements. The same with the brass arrangements. And, you know, we all got more and more involved. Uh, but the sound of the mountain, uh, even though Hen was still uh, the one sending the initial ideas, there was much more input from everyone else. So it just developed naturally. The same thing happened with restoration uh, to the point where we are now, where we know, you know, we, we kind of have this unity. We know the sound and uh, we all have different influences as well, which is really good. Uh, we all listen to different music, sometimes not even prog related or rock related. And that is great, you know, because someone might come up with an idea, an initial idea coming from their personal influences, but then someone else is going to have a different angle in it and just make it something different and something new. Um, the same same with the lyrics. We all got involved uh, to to certain points. I mean, most of the lyrics were written by Ross, uh, Ray and Charlie. I got involved in a couple of tunes as well. Uh, but we all got involved. I mean, um, uh, Richard and Connor, we all got involved with the melodies, uh, ideas, input. So uh, it was very collaborative uh, in any way. Um, I mean, even my keyboard parts, you know, I will send it to the guys and I will get some input as well from them. They will say, oh, maybe, why don't you try this kind of sound? Or I was thinking maybe you could try something like that, you know. So it was it was great to work like that. Obviously, it's a bit tough at times because we all have different opinions and we are very opinionated. Uh, but I think the end result is is always good. I mean, you can go wrong with that. 
Uh, I know you guys have played several shows with lepers throughout Europe, but how did Einar get involved with doing the song on the record? Um, well, yeah, I mean, we we did that tour with lepers uh, a couple of years ago. And it was a great tour. I mean, those guys, we really got on, not only musically, but as, you know, personally, they're very funny. They have the same sense of humor. They're very sarcastic. I mean, I'm deeply sarcastic all the time. So, you know, we, we clicked and we are kind of in kind of in similar situations in terms of how the band is working you know, for, for uh, each of us. So uh, when we were working on that tune, The Architect, um, that that we kind of had the idea. I mean, we were mentioning that, you know, it would sound great with some growls. And obviously, Einar is just an amazing singer. I mean, uh, when we did that tour with Lepers, I, I think I saw all of their shows because they're really good. They're mesmerizing to see live. So that was the first name that came to mind. And, uh, you know, because we, we get on, Charlie just got in touch with, with Einar and, and Einar happily did it for us. And similarly, and I'm sorry if this is a question that comes or comes up a lot. Uh, how did you get Mark, Mike Portnoy to play Gong on Restoration? Um, I think it was Charlie's apartment. Uh, I think when we released the Mountain, uh, Mike Portnoy uh, was uh, sent us a message and said, "Oh, well, I'm very enjoying the album." Um, he actually invited us to Progressive Nation at Sea. Uh, so we kind of got in touch and we took it from there and uh, just Charlie had an idea of maybe getting involved Mike Porner with a gong uh, because that was a, the perfect way of ending uh, that song. Uh, obviously, the first idea was just to get a sample of a gong, but then, you know, it was kind of a satire and thought, well, maybe we could get Mike Porner to do it. And it was great. You know, we, we create a great fuss of people trying to guess what. Mike Porner was doing on, on, on uh, Crystallized and people were guessing like, oh, this drum part or maybe he's doing the backing vocals and it was just funny, you know, to to, to reveal at the end it was just the end gong. It's it's kind of beautiful to have like one of the you know greatest drummers of all time one big note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is great. It's funny, but it's great as well. You know, it, it's amazing. Dude, I, I would kill to have Devin Townsend like snap his fingers at the end of a song of mine or something. Like, that's great. I'll have more with Diego from Haken in just a moment. The path to a successful band is usually a long and laborious one. Everyone has to start somewhere. In this episode, Liam from the Dillager Escape Plan tells us his heavy metal origins. I spoke with Liam back in 2013, I believe. This is my first band. Oh, man. Um, I guess my first real band, the first band that I could say, you know, ever played, ah, maybe that's not even the best way to do it. Um, I think my first band that really never was a band was called Demiurge, and it was kind of very metal. But the first band that I ever really, you know, played shows in and cut my teeth on and had an audience for was a band called Four Life. And it was kind of a, uh, well, just like a metal-ish, hardcore thing, you know, with some breakdowns. Um, I don't know. Not, not totally, I, I wouldn't think it would throw anybody off, you know, that when I was like 15 or 16, I was playing in like a metal-ish, cool band like that. Um, you know, considering the trajectory that my, you know, musical career has taken since. I wish I had a better answer for that. It, it, it sounds like a real good opportunity to to, to be funny or, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> it 
I got nothing. You know, I really don't. It was it was actually kind of more serious when I, you know, looking back, it was like, oh wow, we actually took that pretty seriously. <laughs> well, like so, I, I don't know. I talked to some of the guys between the buried and me, and consistently they seem to all have like. Uh, Metallica influenced some of their older stuff, and I that's a consistent I find. But you know, if you it just kind of came up with bands that sort of make sense, it sort of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and, and those influences are in there, you know. But you know, not to say not to discount bass players, but a lot of the times we're there to kind of fill a role. We're not exactly the fountainheads for most of the sound. I'm a ba- I'm a bass um, player. I hear you. Yeah, you know, we we can't all be a left player. Right. Um, and nor do I necessarily want to be. Um, you know, if I wanted to be a front man, I'd probably do something different with my life. Before we get back with Diego from Haken, let's hear a little from the band's previous EP, Restoration. This is Crystallized. On the Haken website, it lists your hometown as Mexico City. How long did you live in Mexico? All my life. Um, well, I I grew up here in Mexico, and uh, then when I was 18, I moved to the UK. I uh, wanted to study my degree. And along the way, I just, you know, just I don't believe in destiny, but just coincidences, I, I ended up meeting the guys and joining the band. Uh, since... Uh, 2013. I don't live in the UK anymore, sadly, so I had to move back to Mexico. So uh, I'm in the same situation as Connery's. We are back, uh, traveling back and forth for the tour. So when we're doing, like, uh, you know, I just came back a month ago that I went to the UK to record, uh, to shoot that video with it for Initiate. Uh, so yeah, but I, I grew up here and uh, yeah. Uh, how did the scenes, the music scenes, differentiate growing up in Mexico and then, you know, going to the UK? Oh man, it's a completely different world, uh, especially the prog scene. Uh, there's not that much going on in Mexico. I mean, nowadays there seems to be more more bands going on about, and uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, fresh new bands uh, that I actually enjoy. But it's it's just a completely different culture. I mean, in the UK, especially London, which is such a cosmopolitan city. You could go anywhere, I mean, and you can have a jazz venue, and on the other side, you could have a punk venue, and on the other side, you could have an electronic venue, and on the other side, a prog venue. So there's a lot of stuff going on all the time, and therefore, there's a lot of really good stuff going on. You know, there's amazing musicians you see play on the street just busking, or you see, uh, you hear great bands everywhere. So there's a, it's too crowded sometimes, but the level of musicianship you see around is amazing sometimes. You know, it's very hard to to stand up and, you know, stand out, sorry, uh, in a city like that. Whereas in Mexico, it, there's, there's, you know, there's a big music scene going on, but it's not 
in any way comparable to uh, the amount of, 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 of bands you get in a place and different bands as well because as I said you get from jazz to Indian gamelan I've, I've gone to gamelan uh, gigs or you can go to uh, ambient gigs or dubstep or drum and bass so there's a lot of stuff going on that I think in, in a way uh, unconsciously uh, influence you you know it's one of the things that's on the air and you kind of pick it up and you know it it it, it, it keeps you spinning it keeps your head spinning I think uh, what made you want to start playing music in the first place? Well, uh, I've been a musician all my life. Really. I mean, uh, I've been playing piano since I was five. I mean, not, nothing serious new. I, I wasn't one of those classical trained pianists that will spend eight hours a, uh, a day for their whole life. But I did play all my life. I, uh, it's one of the things I, I can... I can remember not being a musician, so it's hard to, to answer that question for me. But you weren't one of those creepy, like, prodigy kids? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, uh, probably among my friends, yeah. But you know, <laughs> there's there's only a few friends. There's only a few friends that that you know did decide to to become a musician. Uh, but you know, I, I used to play with people who are not were not really professional, so we're not really willing to take it professionally. Much more like a hobby thing. And obviously, well, you know, I was very always very uh, serious about it, especially when I got into my early teens. I got really into it, and I was I was trying to you know just just develop and get better and better and better and better. And you know, obviously, I would stand out a little bit, but no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider. I would consider myself a prodigy kid, and not at all. Uh, what is your earliest memory of heavy music? Earliest memory? Um, does Nirvana count as heavy music? Sure. I mean, everyone's got a gateway band. Mine was like Guns N' Roses. So, yeah, that works. Okay. Well, yeah, that was that was the first band I really got into. I mean, when I... I, I grew up playing the piano and um, I... I uh, I was, you know, I started with a kind of classical repertoire to a point where I got a bit bored about it because I'm not not really a classical musician. I love classical music, but it's not it's not in my nature. It's not I don't have that mentality. Um, and uh, when I was like I don't know, eleven, twelve. Uh, I discovered Nirvana because one of my colleagues was uh, listening to it, and. Uh, I just was like, well, what is this? You know, and I've, you know, I was on my early teens. I was trying to be rebellious and I thought, well, well, I want to do this. I want to play guitar. So I kind of stopped playing the piano for a little bit and got really into it. And funny enough, the second band I, I, I started getting into after that was uh, Dream Theater back in the day. Uh, I listened to The Mirror, I remember. The same guy uh, showed me Nirvana. We were at his place and he played to me The Mirror. He's like, oh, listen to this, man. He's playing on a seven-string guitar. It looked like, how heavy is that? And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, and funny enough, that's when I... You know, the keyboards, playing keyboards and the synthesizers it kind of had a different approach, you know, had a different look for me because before that, you know, I grew up in the 90s. Uh, so, you know, the scenes were not really that cool back in the day, you know. In the 90s, was just like on a kind of background instrument, you know, just playing an organ sound or maybe just a little bit of an electric piano. But you didn't have what you have today, you know, like like synthesizer could make a really heavy noise, you know, like a really heavy synth sound and you can do a really heavy uh, organ sound or whatever. You know, it was more kind of a background instrument or that was my perception of it. I don't know if uh, if I was wrong, but that was my perception of it. And, you know, that's when I realized, you know, keyboards were extremely cool. And I thought, like, well, maybe I should stop playing guitar. I'm just going to go back to the keyboards. And I, I just go back to it. 
do you still play guitar much or no? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I dabble a little bit. I mean, I, I sometimes when I'm writing stuff, I can just get a guitar and and record a few things. But I I don't do it. I mean, I don't practice uh, how I should. So obviously, you know, you need to. I mean, uh, uh, an instrument is very jealous. You know, you have to keep going at it, and you have to keep practicing your scales and practicing your shapes and blah blah blah. So I can, you know, I can get by if I'm a. I'm at a bonfire and someone brings out a guitar. I can get a little bit um, romantic, if you will, but that's <laughs> all I can do. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a player anymore. Um, something I've experienced when I dabble with keyboards is that it's almost overwhelming having every sound you can imagine at, literally at your fingertips. How long does it take you to pick a sound for a particular song? And how, oh man! And how do you know when you found the right one? Oh man! It takes me ages the thing is i have a fetish right and my fetish is that i consciously and deliberately factory presets so uh obviously you know if it's a on an organ sound or a keyboard sound sorry a piano sound or an electric piano sound obviously you know you're gonna use what you have um or same for strings but for synth sounds uh, or like sound design i really get into it uh, and so i I just refuse to use a preset, so I kind of have an idea. And normally, when I'm listening to to a tune I'm supposed to record something on, I always think first about the vibe of the sound before even thinking about my actual part. So, um, as you said, you know, keyboards is such a flexible instrument that you can create many, many things. And at the same time, you know, when you play keyboards or when you design sounds, I think half of it is what you play. Or even less than that, and the other half of it is, or more than that, is your actual sound. So your expression comes as well from, from how you program your sound. You know how how expressive you wanted your sound to be, because in a way, as a keyboard player, you're a little bit limited. You know, a guitar player can can actually oscillate the guitar, can bend the actual string. You know, so you have a little bit more uh, of expression as a keyboard player or as a piano player. You're just basically activating a mechanism. Whether it's a piano, that's just, you know, you're pressing the key and that key is just hammering the string. Or you're doing a keyboard and you're pressing um, a key and, you know, the MIDI system is just recognizing what key you play in at what velocity and send it to your sound, sound source. Uh, you can add a little bit of uh, expression on your mod wheel or you can add a little bit of expression with your pitch wheel. But it's not the same. So you have to rely a lot uh, to create your own sound and and. and and to, to have your own sort of uh, style with your sound. So it takes me a lot of time. Uh, I, I think that's the time I spend the most time programming my sounds and actually recording. And it's just crazy, crazy time. I cannot even put it into my hour work, but uh, yeah, it's a lot. So you, you seem certainly like a, a tone chaser. Has there ever been a sound that you can't get out of your head and out through a speaker or something that you haven't been able to to nail um yeah there is i mean there's quite a few sounds that sometimes i listen to and i think like what the hell is that and you try you try you try you try until you actually get it or you get it close but yeah yeah there's there's uh i, I try to listen to a lot of that stuff uh, especially i mean especially in, in in disciplines are not like you know on rock or progressive music, you know, more into the electronic world that, you know, the playing is just the least important part. The most important part is actually the sounds, you know, people like Infected Mushroom or uh, 
Expedition Snares or people like Boards of Canada, even Kraftwerk, you know, they were pioneers of that, that they actually step off the actual performing the actual technique of, you know, it's not that important. What made a sound or made, the, or made them famous is their actual synth sounds, their actual programming. So, yeah, I still, every now and then, I, I come across with sounds like, I think, how are they doing that? This is so interesting. I don't know how to do it. And I try, try many ways and many times until I actually get it. I mean, there's sounds uh, I've spent, I don't know, two, three years trying to recreate until I finally find the secret recipe. It's almost like an alchemy. You know, you need to know what you're doing and kind of understand and try to get it right. So, yeah, it's very fascinating. Uh, changing gears a little bit. Um, also on the Haken website, it lists one of your influences as Philip Glass. Uh, have you seen Kiwanisgatsi? No, I have not. You and I'm going to make notes of that. No. Yeah, Kiwanisgatsi is this... It's like an hour and a half of arpeggio set to dramatic, like, kind of stock footage stuff. And it's just a really interesting film. Uh, no dialogue, and it's just really intense. Right, yeah, I'm making a note of that. That sounds interesting, definitely. Um, so, the new album's about to drop. I'm assuming you guys are going to tour the hell out of it. When can uh, fans in North America expect you guys to swing by? Or can we? Yes, you definitely can. Uh, we're going to do some dates around Pro Power USA this year, I think it's in September. So it's nothing set yet, but we're going to do some dates around. So, yeah, we're very excited. I mean, last year was our first time touring the US and we had a very good response. So, yeah, can't can wait to be back. Alrighty, well, thank you so much for talking to me. When you guys come stateside again, if you swing through California, I'll certainly be there to see you guys and uh, meet you and... Again, I love the new record. Everybody should go out and pick it up. Called Affinity. It's lovely. Thank you very much, Daniel. It's been a pleasure. All right. You have a good one. I'd just like to thank Diego from Haken for chatting with me. Their fourth album, Affinity, comes out April 29th via Inside Out Records. For more information about Haken, hakenmusic.com. When wrapping up each episode, I like to end with an artist you may not be familiar with. This episode is the band name, which stands for The New Approach to Martyrs' Expressions. In 2010, the San Francisco trio released the album Internet Killed the Audio Star which is a diverse journey that weaves through sludge, experimental death metal, grindcore, mathcore, and even a little disco. After six long years, the band has finally finished recording their follow-up album, which is called You Are Mostly Nowhere. It is slated for release later this year. To tease the album and give fans a little something to hold them over, the band released a live album called Songs from the North, which featured an early version of a new song called Ode to the Colossus, The Giant of Circumstance. This song is going to be featured on the new record, so without further ado... Here is Ode to the Colossus, the Giant of Circumstance.
For more on Name, go to facebook.com slash nameband. That'll do it for this episode of Far Beyond Metal. I'd once again like to thank all the bands featured in this episode. I highly recommend every single one of them. You can find them all on Facebook, Googling them, Twitter, all that good shit. If you want more about Far Beyond Metal, you can go to facebook.com slash farbeyondmetal. I'm on Twitter at Ovacord. That's O-V-A-C-O-R-D. And if you want to email me, you can email farbeyondmetaldan at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.